Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 28. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, I just got back from Dragon Con in Atlanta. It was my first con. I've got to say, it was a pretty amazing experience. I saw things that were far weirder than any story you might hear on the Drabblecast. I love the idea of people getting together and celebrating the things that they love, uh, unafraid of what the world thinks about them. And I remember standing off from afar at one point and watching a few people dressed up in stormtrooper uniforms chasing around an elf wearing a thong. It was probably the geekiest thing I had ever seen in my life. But I thought, hey, you know, they're just having fun. I'm the guy racing around the Hilton because I'm late for a panel on Creative Commons licensing for podcasts. If anyone's a geek, it's... Well, yeah, okay, it's, it's the elf and the thong. But still, I had a new perspective on it all, you know? All in all, it was a good weekend. I had a lot of fun meeting people, and I learned a lot. Congrats to Matt Wallace and the Variant Frequencies podcast for their story, No World for Warriors, which won a Parsec Award for Best Speculative Fiction in Short Form. Variant Frequencies is another fiction podcast market, which is pretty neat. You should go check it out, www.variantfrequencies.com. Matt's story, No World for Warriors, is a great place to start. I gotta say, though, I left DragonCon pretty much amped about where Drabblecast could go this year. We're relatively new, but then, so is this market. And I think we have a lot of good things going for us that could have us clenching a parsec next year. Without going into production or style comparisons with other podcasts, I think what makes Drabblecast stand out is our desire to build a creative community of like-minded writers and lovers of neat ideas and good stories. While, you know, sure, we would love to have a Mike Resnick or a Harry Turtledove story featured, we're more excited about doing great stories from our listeners and or gaining new dedicated listeners by featuring their stories. Aside from our mission to promote new and interesting flash fiction out into the potosphere, we hope you guys enjoy things like the Super Animal Deathmatch competition and the Haiku contest and stuff like that. If you ever have any suggestions or ideas on how to improve the Drabblecast, shoot us an email at drabblecast at yahoo.com. We're nice guys. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Well, on to today's story. It's called The Hog-Faced Man by Mark Fuel. Mark's had about 60 short stories and around 90 poems published in places like Marion Zimmer Bradley's Fantasy Magazine, Bizarre Bazaar, Fantastic Stories of the Imagination, and Hadrosaur Tale. We're happy to be doing his story this week. Without further ado, The Hog-Faced Man by Mark Fuel. I listened to my father talk about the hog-faced man who came into his hospital room and stood at the foot of his bed. What does he say to you? I asked. My father turned his head and looked at me. He tells me he's too early. I checked with the nurse and found out that I'm the only visitor my father's had. I returned to his bedside and assured him that the hog-faced man had to be an illusion, a hallucination, a walking dream. That's when he said the last words he would ever say to me. Even if he ain't real, 
I don't expect you'd like to wake up and find him staring back at you. No, I wouldn't like that at all, I said. He closed his eyes and fell asleep. That night, he died. I hadn't thought about the hog-faced man for years. My life went on without Dad, though I wish he had lived to see his granddaughter, Emily. At three years old, she had blonde hair, blue eyes, and more energy than a nuclear power plant. I had been thinking of Emily when I saw the hog-faced man, about a block from my house on my way to work one morning. The hog-faced man didn't look the way I had thought he would when my father had first told me about him. In fact, I didn't even realize it was the hog-faced man at the time. I had pictured a wild boar's head on a human body, something grotesque. In reality, the man's body was smaller than I had expected it to be, and his face had a pug nose and his eyes were dark and set close together. His wrinkled, bald head made him look older than any person I'd ever seen. The man's appearance was neither unattractive nor frightening, but as I imagine my father staring at him in the dark corners of his hospital room, I can understand how he came to refer to him as the hog-faced man. That night, I awakened with the creepy feeling that someone was watching me. Then I realized that the wrinkled little man I had seen on the street earlier stood at the foot of my bed. My body convulsed inadvertently with terror, and I wanted to scream for him to go away, but I didn't want to startle my wife, Heather. What is it, honey? A soft voice said. I turned my head and looked at my wife. Nothing. Go back to sleep. When I turned my head back to look at the hog-faced man, he had vanished. I crawled out from under the covers and walked down the hall to the bathroom where I splashed water on my face. Going into the bedroom, I looked in on Emily and saw her sleeping, all of her three-year-old energy worn out. I walked over to her and kissed her forehead. She stirred a little but didn't wake. I found myself too busy wondering why I had seen the hog-faced man. My father saw him before he died. Did this mean I was going to die? Is that what the man meant by too early? That he showed too early for my dad's death? For my death? And if not, what was he too early for? I thought about the stories my grandmother used to tell me. I remember the ones about the fetches, the spirits who showed themselves in graveyards when someone was about to die. I wondered if the hog-faced man was a fetch. It seemed unlikely. There are no cemeteries near my house or the hospital where my father spent his final days. No matter who or what the man was, I believed I saw him because death was near. Were all my affairs in order? Did I need to update my will? I sat down at the computer. If anybody else in the world experienced the hog-faced man, the information would be posted somewhere. After hours of surfing the net, I found nothing. I knew of one other source of information. The next day I visited my grandmother. I told her everything I knew about the hog-faced man. 
She told me that she knew nothing about such a creature, but she let me know that if he was a fetch or a spirit, he probably hadn't come for me, but for one of my loved ones. How can that be? I asked. Dad died. Not Mom. Not you. Not anybody close to Dad. Are you sure? Grammy asked. I can't be sure about anything anymore. That night, I waited for the hog-faced man to visit. I sat up in bed, trying to read. Heather and Emily had been asleep for hours when I looked up from my novel and saw the hog-faced man staring at me from his post at the foot of the bed. I won't go with you, I whispered harshly. The hog-faced man shook his head, no. I'm not sure what that meant. Did it mean he wasn't listening to me? Did it mean I had to go with him? Did it mean he wasn't there to take my life? The man turned and walked out of the open door of the bedroom. When I saw his shadow moving down the hall, I realized he hadn't vanished, and I got out of bed and followed him. He stopped in the doorway of Emily's room. No, not her, I thought. I grabbed for his arm and was surprised that my hand didn't pass through him as if he were a ghost. I tried to pull him away from Emily's bedroom. I tried, but I couldn't budge him at all. I wouldn't let him hurt Emily, but what could I do? He turned and faced me, and there were tears rolling down both sides of his face. I had never seen such sadness. My anger dissipated as a wave of sorrow washed over me. I started to cry out, but choked it back. I didn't want to wake my family. The hog-faced man stepped out of my way, and I rushed to Emily's bed. I knelt down beside the bed and placed my hand against Emily's cheek. I stood up and turned around. The hog-faced man was gone. I searched the house. All of the doors and windows were locked. He wasn't there. The next morning I told Heather that she needed to take Emily to the pediatrician. But when I couldn't give her a reason why, she told me I was being silly, that I worried too much. I couldn't be sure that she wasn't right, but with the image of the grief-stricken, hog-faced man fresh in my mind, I took Emily to the pediatrician myself without telling Heather. She's a fine, healthy three-year-old, the doctor said. Over the next week, I watched her closer than I usually did. I played with her more often, convinced that we were soon to be separated. For one whole week, the hog-faced man didn't appear. Then he returned. I woke up when he walked through the bedroom door. I tried to speak, but I didn't know what to say. The man bent over Heather's body to get a closer look at her face. I caught my breath, but it didn't appear that he meant her any harm. He then left our bedroom and returned to Emily's, and I hurried after him. He knelt on the floor, Running his fingers through Emily's hair, he whispered, I miss you, Mommy. He looked at me over his shoulder, and as we stared at each other, it felt as though hundreds of years were passing by, and the sadness of their loss pierced me through. I never saw the hog-faced man again. 
But now, 20 years later, my grandson is in the next room crying for my attention. I hurry to him, knowing all too well the importance of the time that we can spend together. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. I knew a guy that had kind of a pig face one time. He was my fifth grade English teacher. And now, in retrospect, I wish I'd been nicer to that guy. Well, feedback from a few weeks ago. Drabblecast 25, The Worm Within, by Vincent Eaton. We seem to have universal positive feedback on this story, which is hard to believe because I had to stop several times in my narration of it, no joke, to gag. I guess if people couldn't stomach it, they just didn't bother posting a comment on it either. Veburn asked, So what genre does this story fall under? I would file it as mandatory bathroom reading if I were a librarian. Mr. Tweedy says, I managed to get most of the people in my little part of the office to listen to this. It was easy to pitch. Hey, it's about a tapeworm. And so now it's something of an office joke, with references to stringy pastas and undercooked meat springing up randomly the last two days. One of my co-workers was unable to eat lunch yesterday because he listened to The Worm Within just before. I'd call that a success. Virgilia says, Haha, it was outrageous. Sick and beautiful. I love it. Thanks for the thrill. Sick, yes, but the fact that someone called this piece beautiful gives me new insight on just how bizarre some of our listeners really are. Hey, whatever tugs your worm, I guess. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can share this episode with other folks, just don't change anything or try to make a buck or two from it. The Drabblecast staff is made up of Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding you that 9 out of 10 times that weird-looking guy you find staring at your wife in bed at night isn't the ghost of one of your progeny visiting from the future. Go ahead and club the guy with a baseball bat. It's not worth the risk. <laughs>